My next guest is a true journalist, someone with many years of experience, starting in the police scanner room, listening to the scanner for crime stories, and climbing the ladder to work at various top media outlets, now as a senior reporter covering feature stories at the Vancouver Sun. I'm honored to have Lori Colbert with me today to discuss her work, the state of journalism, where it's heading, and more. Enjoy this discussion on Rachel Dexton Connects with senior reporter Lori Colbert. Today I have Lori Colbert from the Vancouver Sun on the podcast. A lot of feedback from those on social media who have been keen to hear from you, Lori. So welcome uh, to Rachel Bexton Connects. I'm honored and excited to have you on. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. I'm uh, super excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I would like to know about your past and kind of what led you to the field. So what led you to study journalism? Where did you study and kind of, you know, why journalism as a career? Oh, I wish I had a brilliant answer for that, but I really bumbled into the career. Mm-hmm. Um, and fortunately, because I've loved every minute of it, but I, I'm an accidental journalist. I graduated from university with an English degree and promptly found myself generally unemployable. And so figured <laughs> I needed some formal training so that I could be employable somewhere. And um just accidentally chose a journalism program in Toronto where I was living with some girlfriends post-university. And, you know, sometimes I think it's those things in life that maybe you don't always plan long-term that you stumble upon that, that can be, you know, that can just really be so impactful in your life. And for me, um, I'm just really lucky that I kind of made that last minute decision. And so I went to Humber College in Toronto and I did a two year um, journalism diploma after my university undergrad. And Mm -hmm. I was really fortunate really, really fortunate that um, I got an internship with the Toronto Star while I was a student at Humber College. And that really helped launch my career. They put me in um, what was referred to as the radio room. So as a student, I would sit in a room full of police scanners all day and then run out to the city desk to let them know, you know, that some major crime had happened that they were speaking about on the scanners. And so as a result, I, I really started as a crime reporter at the Star and then at the newspapers I worked at after that. Wow. Wow. What a way to start. And so you were starting at the Star, obviously a very big newspaper. And what brought you then out west to work on the West Coast? So I moved around a bit. It was the early 1990s. I worked in Ottawa and Niagara Falls. Then I moved to Alberta and worked in Edmonton. I was really excited to be in a provincial capital at that point. We continued to write about crime, but also about provincial politics. But um, I had some friends who had moved to Vancouver and I started really inundated, uh, inundating the deputy managing editor of the Vancouver Sun with story ideas and story pitches. And um, I think I irritated him so much that he finally <laughs> um, called me and said, if I offer you a three month internship, will you stop sending me story ideas? <laughs> and, um, it, you know, I, I 
I maintain a friendship with this person to today. I'm so grateful he gave me a chance. And um, I worked at the Sun for about three months. It was not a full-time job. I worked, then I moved to the Hamilton Spectator. But then within a year, I was back at the Sun. And I've been there now for about 25 years. Amazing. What about print versus other forms of journalism? Did you always see yourself writing that news versus delivering it, say, via radio or TV? I, you know, I think I went into journalism school thinking I'd be interested in broadcast, but because I got that placement at the Toronto Star, it really ingrained in me a love for written journalism. And and that's just the path that I stayed on. Okay. And has it been kind of how you imagined it would be? What are, you know, have there been surprises? I'm sure there have been along the way, but starting in the crime room or in the radio scanner room reporting on on crime is a pretty kind of intensive high pace role um but is the career kind of as you imagined it would be well it unfolded in a very exciting way i got to cover some really high profile crime stories in canada including unfortunately paul bernardo and carla homoka in ontario um okay. who are infamously known in canada um and uh, you know um those stories are important to tell that also extremely difficult to tell um they also, though, create a fairly high profile platform for the journalists who cover them. So, um, you know, from there, I was able to move around a bit. Um, and I would say that my, uh, you know, the the whole industry was on a high um, until, you know, the arrival of the Internet when things really um, impacted print journalism. And so I was traveling a lot. I got to meet a lot of people. I covered um, some really big stories, but all of that has of course changed um, with the inability of newspapers to make as much money as they have in the past. So travel budgets have gone down. Um, you know, the size of journal, uh, the size of newsrooms have shrunk. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my career was fabulous and continues to be fabulous. It's just, um, it just looks different today than it did say 10 or 15 years ago. Yes. I I remember that from my early days in in PR, um, having, you know, a journalist for every single beat, you know, Mm -hmm. that journalist was dedicated Mm -hmm. to that story beat and, you know, they never covered anything but that. And it was, it was definitely a different time, which actually leads into my next question. Uh, it's been a, a tough time for journalism. Uh, it's such a vital, uh, you know, role uh, to keep society moving in a, in a productive way and, you know, keeping those accountable who are in power and educating, telling stories. And, but with the rise of digital and social and, and you know, uh, outlets having to adapt layoffs happening and, and things like that. How has this affected kind of your, the way that you work, um, the storytelling you're doing, kind of your, your thinking about, you know, will I stay in the industry? Has that changed any of your, your thoughts around those kinds of things? So I guess a couple of questions really there in your one question. And, and so as far as how it's changed what I do day to day, I mean, I look back in my past and with some of my colleagues at The Sun, we would spend months investigating, you know, a certain topic and then produce a series of stories that would run over a week. 
Um, that isn't happening anymore or, or very infrequently. Um, there are still some amazing journalists in Canada and some great media outlets. Um, you know, the Globe and Mail, the CBC certainly have, um, are doing, you know, more investigative reporting. And so is my newspaper chain. I am not saying we're not, but we don't have the same amount of time or travel resources. So I continue, I'd be lu- I'm lucky because I continue to do investigative reporting and, and, and long form feature journalism. But we have to choose more carefully now. I, you know, I, I need to pursue stories that, um, that I can investigate maybe in a span of weeks rather than, than the months um, that, that we have a fairly high confidence level that we're going to be able to produce something at the end of the day. Because if we commit the time now, we really need to show something for the time that we've committed because our newsrooms are so much smaller than they used to be. Um, as for, you know, thoughts about leaving journalism, some dear, dear, talented friends that I adored working with have yes. left my newsroom. And that is really, really hard to see the talent pool that they took with them, the knowledge base that they've taken with them. It's really hard. And so that doesn't just affect the people who leave or just the readers. It affects, you know, the journalists left behind. So, yeah, you you think about it every day. But, um, you know, I'm really lucky. I continue to love what I do. And um, I have a lot of respect for the newspaper I work for and for my colleagues. And, um, you know, I think I'm just going to, for now, I've got no, I've got no plans to go anywhere. <laughs> well, I've noticed that you're, I mean, you're, like you say, you're writing pretty significant features, you know, uh, cover stories, uh, three page features at times, you know, stories that take quite a lot of time and resources, which um, I assume is something that you're pleased with um, being able to dedicate, you know, the time and resources to them and have, you know, the photographers go out and do the photos and make it a true story as it should be, Um, you know, covering important pieces, because I I would imagine it would be tricky to cover, you know, stories that you really care about that are, you know, you want to represent in a certain way, but feel as though you're being rushed through or you're having to kind of you know, have have minimal resources, that would be challenging, I would imagine. For sure. I mean, I am um, one of the lucky ones. Absolutely. And I am grateful for that every day that um, because I am um, a feature writer at the paper, generally speaking, uh, I'm given a bit more time to pursue my stories. I'm getting given more space in the paper for them, you know, more space for the photographers to be able to take the brilliant photos that that they take to go with the stories. But um, I, equally important in any newspaper, in, in fact, arguably more important in every newspaper are the general news um, reporters who are producing, you know, breaking news stories every day. And so I think a really vibrant, um, successful newspaper that's important to its readers should have a, a, you know, a real balance of both. Yes. Yes. Uh, Journalism, studied it in university. I didn't pursue it. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But it's it's been tough for journalists. They've they've kind of been under attack. And I don't know kind of if it was the kind of division that came via covid um, this whole idea of fake news, um, you know, political uh, division around specific issues uh, within the you know, public. Have you experienced any of this kind of animosity towards what you do as a journalist? And, and what are your thoughts on that? I've always thought it to be very you know, unfair and misguided. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. 
Well, because that I write about topics that some people might consider controversial, um, you know, the whole issue of the downtown east side and um, people who are vulnerable and impoverished and the right answers or the possible solutions to help them, be it safe supply, um, be it supported housing, any forms of harm reduction, um, the whole debate around sex, the sex trade, mm-hmm. um, the whole debate around foster children and Indigenous youth youth uh, being in the foster care system at disproportional numbers. I mean, when you write about these issues, unfortunately, there are some people out there with very strong opinions. Um, People, for example, who don't believe in any form of safe supply or any form of harm reduction approach um, to the mental health and overdose crisis that we're facing right now, you know, and they, I think what I find so hurtful because, you know, you always, you know, as a mature adult that people have, are always going to have different opinions than you. And, you know, certainly in my business, I get into debates all the time with politicians or police officers or whoever. Um, But as long as those are respectful, then that's what we can expect in life. But there are some very hurtful people out there who seem to think it's totally okay to fire me off some email telling me why I am not just wrong, but, you know, some kind of scum of the earth person to suggest that, mm-hmm. you know, a safe injection site is is an appropriate uh, healthcare resource, you know, or any number of things, you know, the number of people who tell me that vulnerable people just need to pull up their bootstraps and get a job and stop mm-hmm. using drugs. And it's, Again, if they approach me in in a in a way that they want to, you know, debate the topic, I always return emails to every single reader who writes to me, as long as um, they're not attacking me personally. But it's it is really hard. Um, you know, we are privileged to have a platform as a journalist, but we're also targets. Um, the way you know politicians can be targets. You know, they will see you, and they. I just think they don't think that we're real people behind the byline. Yes. You know, people with kids and dogs and parents and compassion. Like, you know, anyway, so that would be, I don't want to sound too Pollyannish about it, but I guess I would just suggest to any readers, please connect with journalists. I mean, we love to hear from you, even if you disagree with us, mm-hmm. just please do it in a way that remembers that we're, we're just trying our best to tell a story. Um, I'm on board with that. I, 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 I just find it so disappointing. We seem to have lost our ability to have um, these healthy dialogues and debates around issues. You know, it's not all of us, of course, but um, there are, you know, there's just so much animosity, especially on the social media platforms where you can kind of hide behind the keyboard or hide behind the, the, the email. Um, where you can, you know, attack um, those who are, you know, delivering the stories. You, you've seen it in the recent coverage around Jody Vance's experience and others. And um, mm. it, it is unfortunate. And it's, you know, these are obviously stories that that need to be told. These are things that are happening uh, that are prevalent. We're losing seven now people daily in British Columbia due to the uh, drug crisis, the poisoning crisis and and all the other, you know, issues that you cover that are, you know, vital that people uh, learn about. And it's okay. You're right to disagree uh, if done so respectfully. And so, you know, I hopefully I hope that improves because I think healthy debate and dialogue is good. But um, that negativity gets us nowhere. And it's uh you're right. You're a human being. I, I think sometimes journalists are seen sort of uh, a little bit on the celebrity level uh, in some sense. And and um, 
therefore perhaps, you know, treated in a way that, you know, you're a public figure and therefore can be attacked. And that that is certainly not fair or true. But um, yeah, I empathize with that. I think that would be challenging. I just do a few guest writing pieces and I you know, I get pieces in the comment section and the editors say, just don't read them. And it's like, I can't help it. You know, they're just. <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. And then you picture your mother reading them and you're like, ouch, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's tough. It's tough. I can only imagine, um, you know, being it as a doing it as a full time profession. So. Um, so what the reason that I couldn't pursue journalism personally is that I, I found myself in ethical battles, always kind of trying to um, bring my emotions into things. I'm a very emotional person. So I was kind of always, always making the source seem bending the truth in ways that would make the source seem better or seem uh, make them put them in a, in a, in a, in a better light. And that's not journalism, right? We, we have to have the balance and the truth and the facts and mm-hmm. present it as a story. And, and I, I wasn't able to do that. And I recognized it and I, I moved to um, a profession in which I could, you know, um, use my skills from journalism and communications. But um, when you're interviewing sources, and I, I assume this would be challenging for you because you do stories with a lot of vulnerable populations in the province. Do you find yourself in these ethical battles where your kind of opinions and emotions get involved and you have to remind yourself or how do you how do you balance that? Oh, it is it is absolutely difficult, especially if I'm interviewing um, people who who perhaps are vulnerable to begin with. Um, I think, so there's a couple of different ways to answer your question. I I think what I would really like to stress and what I often tell um, either, you know, the people themselves or maybe the intermediaries who have introduced me to people I need to interview for stories is that my goal is never to um, make the, the vulnerable lives of the people I'm interviewing any worse. Um, and that, and that, and that can, that can definitely happen, right? I mean, you interview someone and then, you know, you throw their picture or their story on the front page of a newspaper and suddenly they go from being an anonymous person with, with some type of struggle to, you know, someone that the whole world is reading about. And so, um, you know, I, I always try as, as best as possible to protect um, vulnerable people from like feeling that they have been um, more marginalized by any journalism than I do. But, but then in doing that, you have to be cautious, which is the point you're raising about um, not beca- trying not to become their advocate or um, because you are trying to tell a truthful story. And that's where it's really tricky. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to, to keep the um, trying to balance the well-being of the people that you're writing about versus telling a true story. And uh, yeah, it's 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 hard. There are many nights I can't sleep before a story is published because I think, you know, have I done the people in it the, a disservice or, you know, have I told it the right way? And I think probably from my career, the the example of this that that leaps out all the time is um is is covering the Picton case for mm-hmm. you know the more than more than the decade that that was going on and because I had an early relationship with the families of the missing women before he was even arrested and then you know 
was with them every day in the courthouse through his trial and his pretrial motions. I came to know those families so well and I needed to and I came to like them so much and have so much empathy for how they were let down repeatedly by all forms of government systems over the years but that I had to keep reminding myself I, I can't I can't be friends with them because I'm covering their story. And that was a really hard line to draw in the sand after knowing those families for so many years to remember that when I went into that courtroom every day, I needed to be impartial. I needed to not draw a conclusion on what the jury was going to think about the evidence being presented against Picton. I, I was supposed to be there every day um, as an unbiased observer reporting on this trial and not as someone who was sitting with the families you know, um, trying to support them. It was, it's very strange. Sometimes being a journalist is very strange. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. And you're, you're dealing with very high profile and very serious uh, cases, stories, issues. It would be very challenging. Um, but the fact that you're thinking of it and that you are recognizing it shows that you're, you're likely doing a very good job of of balancing it. I've worked with you on, on many stories and, and they, they're always, you know, very well balanced and, and everyone feels as though, you know, they've been fairly represented. So I can definitely say that from my perspective, but yeah, it would be, it would be, be challenging. Definitely. It would, you know, that connection, especially over a long, long period of time. Um, thanks. thanks, Rachel. This might be a hard question for you. And I, you know, you've worked in the field for, for many years and covered so many important stories. So um, not to belittle any of them at all, but is there, is there one that one issue or, or story that really stands out as a, as a, as a favorite? And, and when I say favorite, I mean, one that you believe is one that was important to tell your, you know, that you, one that you want to, stress and be remembered for and that you really feel was a vital piece that that you created uh, or issue that you covered um, to educate um, the public and to, to hold those accountable for? Um, I think maybe if I could choose two, mm -hmm. that's <laughs> a long career, but I, and I would just say briefly that, um, you know, what the one would fall under the umbrella of missing women. So, um, you know, it was just really amazing. I was a pretty young reporter when I worked with Lindsay Kynes and Kim Bolin on the missing women from the downtown east side. And, you know, which eventually, of course, morphed into the Picton arrest and the Picton trial. Um, and then worked with Neil Hall, another veteran crime reporter from The Sun on the missing women from the Highway of Tears up north. Yeah. And when I look back and think about those two stories and uh, and how, you know, we wrote about a lack of justice, a lack of services, um, just a lack of even public knowledge about women going missing and, um, you know, uh, I would say a lackluster response at the time from from politicians and from police and from the public. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to think that, you know, we played a small role in 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 kind of changing perception about about vulnerable women um, 
going missing and and how society should respond to that. We know, of course, you and I and anyone who reads the media, that's still not perfect today. But um, I do think that uh, public response to those issues has, has hopefully improved over the last 20 years. And the other one is work I've done on... Um, on the foster care system and okay. in raising issues around um, youth in the foster care system. And um, I like, I hope that some of those stories have made a difference um, over the years in, in flagging issues. Uh, I do know that the work that I did with Tracy Sherlock um, on youth aging out of care at uh, age 19 was impactful. And and there are changes that have now been made. And um, I'm not saying that we're solely responsible for those changes, but I am very proud of the role that we played in 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 that story. No, as as you should be, I think that I mean, I just have such a huge admiration for for journalists such as yourself, Lori. It's it's um, you know the work that you do in um, digging deep into what's happening uh, and really finding the facts and presenting them as they are. Um, they help to create change. I mean, you know, it's um, I've been interviewed over. Uh, smaller issues and, you know, heard that it was discussed on parliament floor. And I thought, wow, I mean, I don't like being in front of the the microphone or camera. That's not a comfortable place for me. I'm behind it um, as, 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 as you are. And, um, but, you know, it's uh, the work that you do to, to, to really, you know, stay on something and, and present it and, and, and put pressure on those who can create changes is, is just so vital. And I think it's so important that the public go back to that place where they really, or if they've never been there, that they gain an understanding of the importance of the work of journalists. It's, it's not, you know, this, this, it's about this, you know, sensational clickbait. This is about, you know, presenting stories that, um, in my opinion, that, uh, you know, this is sometimes the only way that we can like, put pressure to create change and to educate, um, debunk stereotypes, things like that. Yeah, I hope, um, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, obviously, and I have no clue about what the future for this industry holds. But I think about my very, very talented colleagues across the country who every day write important stories. And I just yeah, I just hope that there's still um, a financial way for those stories to still be told um, coming out of mainstream newsrooms Um Anyways, we can, we just have to be hopeful. Yes. And that, that was my, my next question actually is, is with the, you know, everything that's happening with digital, I mean, mainstream media has, in my opinion, done a good job of adapting to digital. I think they were a bit late um, of getting there, but I think they've, they're now doing a very good job in my opinion of, you know, being on social journalists are on social gathering news, there, having dialogues, you know, digital content, et cetera. Um, where do you feel the industry is heading? Do you have, you know, for, for those who may want to study it or, you know, it's just even for, you know, the importance of it as a, um, as a profession, where do you feel the industry is headed? Do you have any ideas? You know, I would just say that I look at my younger colleagues in the newsroom and they are so brilliant at, um, 
at using social media to find people for their stories and in ways to tell their stories that um, someone who's older, a bit more of a dinosaur like me, it maybe <laughs> isn't as nimble at, but, um, you know, so I think definitely um, the, the future is people who are, um, you know, very comfortable um probably shooting photos, shooting their own video, you know, uploading it to Twitter, telling their story on multiple platforms, um, because that is that is right now the way of our future. There's although it's very interesting, we get um, reader feedback all the time through different polls that we do from our readers in the post media chain. And people also say that their favorite stories are long form stories on our websites, that they'll spend more time um, with a longer form story. So I do know that there's, you know, there's, there's definitely interest in both in mm -hmm. quick breaking news and, and also in tangible, um, exclusive longer form features how we're going to continue on and continue to do that um i don't know people who are smarter than me are hopefully <laughs> working on that solution <laughs> well hopefully there's a way to um to keep it so that we you know we can have reporters like you who can dedicate the time uh and the attention needed to the longer form and and like you yeah. say have the balance of the the shorter breaking pieces as well because they're um certainly both important um, you must receive hundreds of stories. I hear from journalists that their their inboxes are just, you know, overwhelming <laughs> to look through. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can only imagine how uh, difficult that must be uh, looking through and with limited resources, deciding, you know, which story will I pursue and will I dedicate my time to? How do you how do you sift through these and decide, you know, where where you're going to allocate your time and, and your resources? Well, you know, obviously I have a bias towards certain types of stories. So I'm always um, I'm looking for a story that allows me to speak about, you know, something that's new or different um, so that I can say to my editors, well, this is the first time that fill in the blank has happened or um and 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 then i guess secondly what's very important is that is that the story contains a human element so um you know it's great that a scientist has a new breakthrough for you know say a certain type of uh, medical treatment drug that's great very important but i need to then be able to write about a patient that is going to be helped by this drug or a patient who would like to take that drug for the first time so those are those are the kind of mm -hmm. stories that i that i look for that you know that that's presenting something new that the reader might not know before um potentially it's a it's a it's a new solution to an old problem um it's new research but then but then i need to be able to tell how it affects everyday people because that's what draws people into stories they you know they want to know how um how it's impacting their community or their neighbors or their families um and and those are of course the kind of more um direct stories and then i hear from people who are suggesting that i you know investigate something and that and that and that's something that's very different you know and in that case um i i often need help like a head start if someone is telling me that you know that a 
you know, that, that something's corrupt or that something is in violation of the rules or that I should be investigating, you know, something that isn't quite right. Oftentimes I need access to documents or where to find documents um, that can kind of help me start down the road of investigating those things. Because as we're mm-hmm. seeing right now with all of the stories that are coming out about the Chinese interference in, in Canadian elections, for example, I mean, it's really difficult for the media to pursue those stories if they don't have documentation to back them up. Yes, I think this is, um, I'm going to lead my uh, direct, sorry, my current and potential future clients to this episode, because I think it's, um, these are things that we discuss often when we're talking about stories as well as that human element that, um, you know, that storytelling. And also, like you say, where is that data? Where is that documentation? Where is that first of its kind um, piece? Because that's where the journalists will look to, you know, to find that, um, that newsworthy element to the piece. And that's where it may, it may stand out. Um, for certain reporters. It's hard because, as you've noted, our newsrooms are getting smaller. We have fewer journalists to cover stories. And there are so many amazing organizations and so many amazing people out there doing things that are worthy of stories, but we just can't write about them all. But so you pick and you choose. And again, you um, look for the one story you can tell that that's going to stand out as being unique or different. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's fair. And it's it must be challenging because I'm sure there's times when you say, oh, I would really love to cover this, but I'm going to have to let it go because I need to focus on this. You know, yeah. um, the realities of, of journalism today. Um, I'm going to give you one one PR question and only one. Uh, and that is, do you have a must do or a, and a please don't when it comes to, to pitching and working with journalists for communicators who are pitching stories your way? I think I just have a must do. And that is, um, you know, get get right to the point. Uh, tell me ex- exactly what you're pitching. Um, I don't need the kind of try to gain my attention through, you know, other means or I uh, just, yes. just tell me exactly what it is that you're pitching, why it's important or new or unique or different, um, and who we can expect to be able to interview for the story. Um, and, and when I say who, I don't just mean, you know, the principle behind the concept, but also, you know, think about who who in, in the community is impacted by this announcement and, and is there someone then in the community who, who could speak to it. And we always need photographs. So um, whoever you're putting forward, if they're willing to be photographed. Um, and we always need everything yesterday, which is unfortunately, but, you know, mm-hmm. we rarely have time to do the interviews next week or even tomorrow. We often need to do them today. So um, that's just the nature of the daily newsroom beast. So um, I guess I think that's I think those are the main things. Yeah, no, those are excellent tips. Thank you. Those are very, very good ones. Um, can you expand just a little bit about um, something that people may not know, the general public, about how the newsroom works? So, for example, um, how a story is chosen or developed or how the system works with editors and how a story goes from reporter to editor, anything at all about how the newsroom, how the machine functions in a way that people may not know about um, that would interest people 
when it comes to, you know, the pitch and then all the way to the front page or the second or the last page of the newspaper? Well, it used to be before COVID that this we were all together in one giant newsroom and it was really fun. And we would just, you know, I worked just a yelling pitch away from the, you know, the, the photography editor and right across desk row from the city editor. And so we would communicate in real time. It's a little bit different now that many of us remain um, working remotely. But at the end of the day, there's... Um, there's an editor-in-chief who signs off on in all of the stories at the paper, uh, mm-hmm. a city editor who decides which daily stories we're going to pursue, a features editor who decides which long-term features we're going to pursue, you know, and a photography editor who decides how and where the photos will work with those stories, and then a massive number of people who work the online machine, um, you know, the Vancouver Sun and the Vancouver Province, um, putting those stories together for an online audience, um, sending out, promoting them on social. Yes. And, and so, I mean, every story is going to be different. Some are really obvious, you know, and um, the provincial budget's coming out and we absolutely must cover the provincial budget. And so the city editor will decide, you know, which three or four or five reporters will go into the budget lockup. And that's a story that must be done. We know the date it will be done and um, pretty much how we're going to cover it. And then there's breaking news stories like the, you know, stabbing um, recently at Granville and Pender where that's unexpected. And, you know, you send a photographer and a reporter the minute you find out that that happens. And then the yes. type of thing that I do um, because I work with my work very very closely with our features editor. Um, we try to map out in advance which investigations and features we're going to be running on what date. So we try not to be caught too far off guard because you want to lay those out properly and um, make sure you're promoting them before they land. And um, these things can change. Like we try, we we are nimble when we need to be. Um, if something breaking is happening, and we, we can change those feature plans around but we um we try to plan as much in advance as we can and and try to get as varied um a story list possible um and when i say varied i don't just mean topics but i mean the voices of people that are in them you know we're trying our best to include voices from different cultural groups and um people with different lived experiences and, you know, so that we're trying to bring in uh, voices from a, from a diverse group of people to as best as we can reflect the community we live in. Excellent. Can I ask you, Laurie, what's been your, and I don't know if you've had a chance to think about this at all, but what's been your biggest joy in your career as a journalist to date or one of them? Oh, (laughs) it's a tough one. I know. I would imagine, it, you know, it would be the satisfaction of some of the stories you've done, but. <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's probably lots to probably get off this podcast and think of 10 better answers. But um, I think what makes me smile frequently is when I when I hear from people that I interviewed maybe a year ago or a decade ago who our, um, their lives have, are different now. And, you know, I, I see them and, um, maybe they're doing well and they remember fondly our interaction on whatever story it was that I might have interviewed them on. I always like hearing back from people who I've written about in the past. And, um, because you, 
such a strange thing as a journalist. You meet someone, you frequently ask them a whole bunch of really personal questions. You yes. you learn so much about their lives. You write oftentimes very emotional stories about something that they're going through. And then maybe you hear from them again for, you know, the next couple of days or weeks if the story continues. And then then they're gone and you move on to the next story and and you do frequently think, oh, I wonder what happened to that person. I wonder how that all ended. And but I've met hundreds, likely thousands of people over the over the years. And, and it's always really nice to hear back from people um, sometime later, because it's like it's like you've started writing a book, but you don't truly know the ending. Um, so, yes, that's, that's really neat. I, I never expected that answer. That's interesting. Yeah, it, it, you dive deep on something very personal and then it, it kind of, you know, you're right. Where What is the ending? So that must be satisfying to when you do get the ending and, and especially when the ending is positive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, positive is better. Um, even if it's even if it's not perfect, it's just nice to hear that you yeah. know how people are doing, and nice to hear from them again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I end every conversation uh, with asking uh, about my guests' favorite nonprofit or nonprofits, um, and I would love to know about yours. Should people want to learn more about them and donate that to them, you know, to thank you for the work that you do and in telling these hard stories, it's not easy work. A journalist is, uh, I can say uh, from the outside, and I'm sure you could detail more from the inside, uh, works long hours and at quick pace and very emotional work. Um, so what are one or two of your favorite local nonprofits? Okay. So I am not going to answer your question directly because I, I, I write about so many nonprofits in the downtown east side. I okay. don't want to. Play favorites. I don't want to leave any out. Um, but what all I can say is from my work over the years, if people are going to want to support a nonprofit for doing truly life altering work, it would be any of the providers in the downtown side, whether they're providing shelter or food or clothing Um you know, they're running a safe injection site. Mm -hmm. I just think that there, there's so much need all over the province. Of course, so many people need so much today, but I, you just need to walk the streets of the downtown side to see the need that is there in the moment. It's raw. It's visceral. People are at real risk because of the overdose crisis. People are at massive risk because we don't have enough mental health um, treatment beds. So yes. Any society that you can connect with in the downtown east side, you know, maybe they're handing out dry socks, um, they're handing out, you know, granola bars, whatever they do, whatever fits with whatever values you have to help people down there. There's so much. There's so much. And um, and I'm, I'm not going to name one. I just would feel I feel wrong about that. But I would say reach out to that community if, um, and, and anything that you can do to help. I, I know would be greatly appreciated. I think that's a great answer. Uh, Guy Felicella mentions the same thing. He mentioned a couple, but he also said, you know, that when he was going through his hardest times, the, you know, the people that would just come down and, and do things like pass out amazing baked potatoes or, you know, um, be there with a sandwich or an encouraging word. 
um, would make a big difference. So um, I, I will accept that answer as, as fantastic. So thank you very much. I appreciate I would it. Say, um, my daughter's now in university, but I used to take her down all the time when she was like 10, 11, 12, 13. Um, and I, I just, for so many people down there, being able to say hi to just a young like, a, you know, a young person and interact with her, it seemed to just brighten their day. I mean, there are so many ways I think that you can, that you can, um, that you can do something to brighten mm-hmm. someone's day, you know, and it takes many forms. Yes. Yes. And the small people kind of have this maybe sometimes mentality, you know, you can't change the world. The problem's too big, but maybe all the little things, you know, they add up to big things. So you're mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Awesome. So appreciate your time. I know that you're very, very busy um, doing great work for our city. And thank you for what you do. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Rachel Thexton Connects. And uh, I just really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. It's been uh, it's been really great. Be kind and connect with authenticity. You are listening to Rachel Thexton Connects.